The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. We're in trouble, says Chris Gardner. Big trouble. And it's going to get worse. Much worse. The president of the independent contractors of BC says the Prime Minister and Minister of Finance work in a building that is 4,427 kilometers from Surrey. He says they're even further away than that from understanding the challenges facing construction contractors, small business owners, entrepreneurs, and everyday Canadians. Gardner makes four compelling arguments. First, healthcare is a disaster. Second, our rail, port, and road infrastructure has failed to keep pace with growth. Third, we are in the middle of an unprecedented housing affordability challenge. And finally, public safety is at an all-time low and sinking. His assertions come on the heels of projections from the OECD, which states Canada is ranked dead last among 38 advanced economies. Gardner contends, for Canadians looking to Ottawa to unleash the potential of entrepreneurs, investors, business people, and young workers dreaming about the opportunities the future holds, it's difficult not to conclude that Ottawa is fighting against them. I invited Chris Gardner to join me for a conversation that matters about the mess Canada is in, how our international reputation has tanked, and the harsh truth about how we got here. It's pretty dire. Uh, and I find myself on a day-to-day -day basis becoming more and more concerned. Not yeah. just the trend that we're going in, but there, we're, we're not really uh, getting worked up about it yet. Are you finding yourself in the same situation when you're going, <laughs> yeah, well, trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, Stuart, for having me on, on, yeah. the, sh on the show today. And, and it is, um, you know, it's, if you step, step back and look at where we are as a country and as a province and in so many of our communities, um, oftentimes it's frustrating because we're not talking about the things that matter uh, to deliver all of the things that, that, that ensure that we have the quality of life and the, and the long-term prosperity that we've come to enjoy as Canadians. And so when you, when you step back and look at all of the data, we're heading in the wrong direction. And we've been heading in the wrong direction for a very, very long time. When I was growing up, uh, we were told that Canada had the best healthcare system in the world. And we were continually told that no matter what the data started to show that we, we were starting to slip, we kept saying we've got the best healthcare system in the world. And in fact, it's so good that we wouldn't want it to be like it is in the United States. And we compared ourselves against the United States as we tend to do in so many economic indicators and said, well, well we're, at least we're not like that. And so where do we find ourselves today? Just in the past 18 months, um, there have been 700 closures of emergency rooms in this province uh, for more than six hours. 25% of British Columbians don't have a family doctor. And uh, the government just announced that nearly 5,000 cancer patients uh, cannot get the treatment, the radiation treatment they need uh, in British Columbia. So where are we going to send them? To the United States. The very healthcare system that we said wasn't good enough for Canadians. So, so the frustrating part is we see all the data, we're experiencing that, we're living that. British Columbians are living this every single day. But for some reason, if we talk about you know, let's talk about reforming the healthcare system, making it better, making it more efficient. Uh, it's very difficult to have that discussion because so many activists and vested interests shut down that conversation right away. 
Um, and I would say this, if, if you are in another jurisdiction in this world, you're not looking to British Columbia and Canada and saying, hey, we want, we want more of what they have in healthcare. It's not happening. Well, just take a look at uh, the fact that the provincial government went after Dr. Brian Day and said, no, 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 you can't do this. But he's saying, you know, if, if my car is damaged, I can go out, I'm, I'm insured, I can go out and I can find uh, a uh, qualified technician to repair the car. When my body's damaged, I don't have that same right. It seems ridiculous, yeah. especially in light of what you just said. So how do we then get beyond that? Does it have to get worse before it reaches a breaking point and people are then willing to listen? Well, we went through the, uh, the COVID-19 uh, global pandemic. And one of the things that happened is that a lot of people who would go in for regular diagnostic testing stayed away from hospitals. So what we're going to start to see is a, a group of people who are going to be diagnosed too late. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, I, you know, it's hard to me to, to understand why we can't have those conversations. Um, but I do think uh, it's not just healthcare, it's so many other issues where we've basically uh, got to a point where um, we've convinced ourselves that that we are better than than the data would would show um, and that we're not prepared to have an honest conversation and so at ICBA we try and make our our we advocate for public policy change and reform it's all data based so you mentioned the OECD statistics on mm -hmm. Canada's performance as an economy um, and to your point Canada the OECD ranked 38 countries in terms of their economic performance over the next decade. Canada is ranked dead last. Mm -hmm. And so their forecast growth for our economy is less than 1%, 0.7%. And so what that means is our per capita income will take 100 years to double. So if you think of that and what your grandparents or your parents would say, that we're making sacrifices today so that our kids and our grandkids will have a better future tomorrow. The challenge is now the lag between improving incomes and lifestyle is becoming longer and longer. And so it's going to take four generations for per capita incomes to double. So we can't make that promise anymore. Right. And then when you look at other, other economic uh, stat statistics on where we are, uh, we continue to slip. So let's take per capita GDP income, or basically right. average, average income of British Columbians. If you rank that against the 50 US states, what you'll find is that British Columbia ranks number 46. Like we're right up there with Alabama, You mean Tennessee, right down there with Alabama. <laughs> and, 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 and Mississippi. These are not economic powerhouses. We continue to slip. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so whether it's healthcare or our economy, we've got we've to be able to change the conversation and basically say, listen, um, we need to have a strong economy. We need to encourage investment. We need to remove red tape and regulations. We need to talk about building companies and being proud of their success. We don't have that spirit in Canada. If, if, a, if a Canadian company reports a profit, you'll see activists say, well, you know, uh, it's a terrible thing. Uh, they're charging too much for their services. We should be taxing them more. Right. And so I think about that and say, well, would they be happier if, if Canadian companies reported losses? Is that, like a, is that a better situation for us to be in, where Canadian companies are performing poorly? We should want Canadian companies to be successful, earn profits, so they can pay higher wages, they can invest in their people, they can upskill their people, and that other, other people outside of Canada say, listen, I want to be investing in Canada 
because Canada is the place where you can go and make investments, grow your companies, and become globally competitive. That's the kind of economy that we need. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. But do you feel that Canada has advertised that we're not open for business and the world is listening? Uh, and, I, and I take a look at the number of applications that are before the National Energy Board right now. Nobody's lining up. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you look at Canada's investment profile, outbound investment has exceeded inbound investment every single year since 2014. Mm -hmm. So we're heading in the wrong direction. So more capital is leaving Canada than coming into Canada. That's not a good sign. And then if you look at the time it takes to approve major infrastructure projects, the World Bank ranks Canada number 64 in the world in the length of time it takes to approve a construction project. We're in the middle of an affordability crisis. We're in the middle of, we're in an era where the Federation of Canadian Municipalities reports that 40% of our roads, bridges, our infrastructure is either in fair, poor, or very poor condition. We need to be investing in building more housing and improving our infrastructure but we're ranked number 64 in the world. That's an embarrassing statistic. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the Port of Vancouver, um, the World Bank reported just a few weeks ago, they, they looked at th the 348 largest ports in the world, and Vancouver was ranked not in the top 100, 200, or 300. They were ranked 347 out of 348, second last. Wow. The only good thing about that report is we can only drop one more, one more spot in the next year. That's, again, it's another embarrassing statistic. And, and it shows up in other ways. In, in the, as we came out of the COVID-19, we had historic floods in, uh, in British Columbia right. in the fall of 2021. The port of Vancouver, the largest port in the country, 25% of our goods are flowing through that port, uh, which cut off from the rest of the country for a full week by mm -hmm. rail and road. Yes. We only have one rail line going in. Our road, our road infrastructure was failing. And, and when those catastrophic floods occurred, the port was stranded cut off from the rest of the country. So we're not investing in the infrastructure to make us competitive. 347 out of 348, all levels of government, the, the employers at the port, uh, the workers at the port should be sitting down and saying, how do we move up? How do we go from 347 to like next year, let's be in the top 300, the year after the top 200. Let's figure out how we become more competitive. If we're more competitive, more people are gonna wanna come here and do business. It's gonna help our economy, create more opportunities, create more jobs. That's the kind of thinking that we need. And sadly, we're not having those conversations. So at the time that we're recording this conversation, we're on the heels of a strike at the board. And then it and it's in a state of confusion, maybe the best way to put it right at the moment. Hopefully they don't go back out again. But when we do that, what then happens to our reputation globally as the port of choice for so many shippers to come to come here. And we were trying to build that for a long time as, you know, Vancouver, Prince Rupert were the gateways to uh, North America. Uh, and we've got a geographical advantage to that, but we're not delivering. So the, the federal government, uh, following the supply chain disruptions that were significant as we came out of the global pandemic, struck a federal task force that looked at Canada's supply chain preparedness, how robust it was, how efficient it was. That report was tabled in the fall of last year. And what that report basically said is that our infrastructure is failing to the point where Canada's reputation as a global trading partner, as a reliable global trading partner, is at risk. 
And this was a panel put together by Prime Minister Trudeau. It was, it was, and this was an, an independent panel that came in and said, listen, we're in trouble. And so to your point, the, the more labor disruption, the less efficient we are, um, global companies that are looking to, imp- to export goods and look for a point where they can, uh, uh, they can either leave uh, North America or enter North America, Vancouver will move down that list. Yeah. And you know, if you're looking at 347 in terms of, out of 348 in terms of operating efficiency, you know, a lot of companies are going to say, "Well, we can go somewhere else. We can look at another opportunity to get our goods into this market or get our goods out of this market." And uh, I was on a conference call with 30 CEOs uh, last year, and the CEO of a very large uh, Canadian corporation uh, said, "We're investing." Uh, $3 billion in CapEx over the next two years. Um, we have lots of operations in, in Canada, but we're not investing a dollar in Canada. We'll maintain our assets, but no new investment. All of those that investments happen in the United States and, and Europe. Right. And the reason why, because he said, I don't think we can get our goods to market fast enough and, and in a way that's reliable that we can count on to get, get our goods to our customers. So, so this is, it, it's a critical piece of our, our long-term economic prosperity. And again, we're not having that conversation about the important conversations about what we really need to do to improve our competitiveness, to create opportunities. Uh, you know, if without a growing economy right. uh, and a prosperous economy, we are impacting the prospects of people who are facing retirement. We have an aging population. Uh, our hospitals, that we've, we, our healthcare system we've talked about, our education system, our infrastructure, our roads, and obviously housing and housing affordability. It, it all fits together. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. Well, I think it's also important to recognize that we have to be an exporting nation. Our internal economy is not enough to create the growth that will have a direct influence on per capita GDP. So if we're not exporting, uh, then our economy can't grow. It then comes back to, you know, how's that going to impact the individual Canadian? And yet there seems to be a misunderstanding between that link here in Canada. It's somehow that uh, this, this idea... I see permeating into many sectors of the uh, well of Canadian society saying, no, 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 we don't need to be exporting our natural resources um, for us to be able to maintain a prosperous way of life. It's misguided. Well, and you look at the the, the per capita GDP numbers we talked about uh, a few minutes ago. Vancouver's, British Columbia's roughly about in the mid fifty-five thousand ish yeah. uh, U.S. dollars. Alberta. Our, our best performing province is about $80,000, so significantly more than British Columbia. But compared to all the U.S. states, Alberta would only rank number 14. Yeah, That's our best performing pro- uh, province. And, but what we're doing is we're doing everything we can to strangle the investment in the high value activity jobs and, and the part of the energy economy that's been so important for all Canadians. What happened? You know, we, you go back to point out 2014, we've been sliding since then. What has happened to the Canadian mindset that we say, yeah, we're going to let infrastructure slide. We're going to turn away investment. We're going to be looking at, you know, uh, policies that see a dramatic increase in the uh, portion of uh, or the number of people who are in the public service and consultants to the, to the public service. But we're not building the entrepreneurial uh, and business economy. If you look at the in the five-year period from 2017 to 2022, Canada hired 
73,000 more federal civil servants. That was as much, slightly more, than the entire U.S. federal government. And they have an economy 10 times as large. Um, we've been hiring government workers at a torrid pace. And uh, if you look at um, from mid-2020 to mid-2022, that two-year period, 87% of all new jobs in Canada were government jobs. And so we've got to a point where things are upside down. And um, if you look at the Wall Street Journal recently uh, wrote an article um, and, and an op-ed and basically said, is Canada really a G7 nation? And so what's happening to Canada is that we are slipping so far so fast um, that other nations are, are looking at us and saying, well, Canada's not pulling its weight. And, uh, and so we, we are uh, facing, I think, very significant challenges. And if you look at housing affordability, in 1972, we had a population of about 22 million people. Right. And we built about 230,000 new homes in 1972. 50 years later, in 2022, with a population that was just touching uh, 40 million, we built fewer homes. We yeah. built about 220,000 new homes. And so in that 50-year period, we have been able to put onto the market every single year about 200 plus or minus 30, 40,000 new homes every single year. And the World Bank comes out, CMHC comes out and says, well, if we're going to meet the demand for housing between now and 2030, we're going to be building something closer to 800,000 new homes a year. That is an impossible goal given the way we approach housing today. <laughs> well, and let's also make sure that we uh, recognize that our immigration policies now are to let a significant number of more people yep. come to Canada. And we're not saying we don't want to invite people to come here and be part of this, but if we can't supply them with the uh, uh, housing, housing affordability, infrastructure and opportunity or access to the kinds of employment that will allow them to thrive here, what are we doing? What are we creating when we, when we have that kind of mix? Yeah, you know, there's, there's, this, is, uh, this is a fascinating topic. Because if you think of what happened in British Columbia last year for the first time ever, more people died than were born. Mm -hmm. in 2022 in British Columbia. So more people died than were born. So we're and we have an aging population. So we're going over a demographic cliff. So we need, we need more people. So the good news is the federal government's recognized that and is encouraging immigration. Now we're taking in about 500,000 new uh, people this year mm -hmm. and next year another 500,000 and then another 500,000 <laughs> the year after. So, yeah. so now what, so where are we falling down? What we're falling down on is there is very little serious, meaningful collaboration between the federal government, the province, and local governments to set the conditions for their success. Yeah. Because those 500,000 people coming in this year are gonna need places to live, we need, they're, gonna, they're gonna primarily be traveling by, by public transit, and if they're gonna be buying cars and driving cars, we're gonna need better road infrastructure. Uh, schools, we're gonna need to address that, and our healthcare system. It all has to work there, but no, one, no one's talking to each other. And then credentials recognition. So we're going out there and we're recruiting a whole bunch of professionals and they get here and they find out that, hey, uh, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, and it's going to take years and years to have my credentials recognized. There was just a report today about a Canadian woman who was uh, licensed and practicing uh, medicine in Australia, uh, another advanced economy, uh, applied. It took 17 months 
for her credentials to be recognized so she could practice medicine in Canada. And it was only- But she's a citizen of this country. Yes. She's a Canadian. Yeah. Um, but it, and the only reason why it, why it took 17 months and not 24 months or 36 months was because it ended up on the front page of, of the newspaper. Um, we, we, we do a very, very poor job of recognizing the talent and skills of people who are coming to this country and integrating into our economy in an efficient and effective way. We just simply take too long. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. So what you're talking about is the quality of thinking behind a comprehensive uh, legislative uh, slate of policies that yeah. can, can change this. Is that a reflection of the quality of people that we're attracting to public service because it's such a toxic environment? Well, I think, I, I think what we're saying, what, what I think governments uh, are saying effectively, unfortunately, is that a government job is better than a private sector job. And and because that's the message that Canadians are getting mm -hmm. from all levels of government, and um, because they were were we don't talk about entrepreneurship, we don't talk about we don't celebrate success in our in our business community, we don't talk to the young people who've started the new enterprise in their community, and it's a coffee shop or it's it's a new technology company, and we're, we're excited about that. It's a construction company, a, a contractor, someone who learned a trade and learned a skill and has now started a, a company that's growing. We don't celebrate that success. In fact, we demean it. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I think when you get you know, we've hired, if you think that we've, we've, we've hired 73,000 new federal civil servants from, to the five-year period ending in last year, but we can't process passports on time, like what hope do we have of crafting innovative, meaningful policies that are going to impact housing affordability, our healthcare system, um, build more schools on time at, at, a, at a price that taxpayers can afford? Is there a solution or are you finding yourself becoming more and more concerned um, and saying, I don't know, and therefore starting to worry about the generation that's going to fall behind us? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the problem is, I, I think one of the challenges we face uh, in having honest discussions is the fact that it's, it's hard to establish a baseline of fact. Mm -hmm. How are we really performing? and then getting everyone to say, yes, we're here, and it's not in a good spot. And based on that, let's now talk about the suite of solutions. Because we're so polarized, and, incre and becoming increasingly polarized, that we can't establish the playing field. Like, where are we? And so you'll have politicians who will, who will say, and, and I'm, I'm sure they believe it, that um, you know, we are, um, we're performing at the top of the you know, compared to other countries, our economy is stronger than it ever has been, and people are investing in Canada. I was at a, I was at a, um, uh, a BC Chamber of Commerce conference, and elected officials stood up and said that international investors are looking to Canada because of the healthcare system. And I'm thinking, I don't know what province you live in or what country you live in, because I, I don't think that's Canada or British Columbia. So, so we can't have, we don't even, we, we can't even agree on what the foundation is. Mm -hmm. And then, because once you know what the foundation is, then you can start saying, well, we want to, we want to be here. We, in five years, we want to be this, or we want right. to be that. Um, but without being able to agree on what the challenges are and where we really are positioned as a nation, 
uh, it's hard to have those conversations. Okay, you're scaring me because it suggests to me that we're, we have to have our backs pressed even further against the wall before we're going to be honest with ourselves and say, these are the things that we need to do to turn it around. You know, take a look at Greece being an example. They were defaulting. Mm -hmm. uh, their economy was unraveling. Yet here we are uh, in 2023 and Greece is starting to perform again. Like there has been a change, but it took yeah. tremendous amount of pain for an awful lot of people before there was an acceptance of a shift of ideas. Are we on a collision course with that same kind of uh, path? Uh, yes, uh, I, th I think we are. Because it, it, just think about the, the, um, what we talked about a few minutes ago, that we're sending nearly 5,000 cancer patients to clinics in the United States to get radiation because we don't have the facilities to treat them here. Yeah. That announcement came out. Um, it's shocking. That's, that's a quarter of all the patients in British Columbia who need radiation treatment. The fact that we had 700 emergency rooms closed for more than six hours over the past 18 months in this province is what happens to folks who need medical care and you, you, you drive up to the hospital and emergency rooms close because there aren't adequate medical staff to service the emergency room. Uh, like our system is collapsing around us. And the fact that we're not sort of all hands on deck, whether it's our healthcare system, uh, issues related to public safety or affordability. So affordability is like every single objective observer will say the very same thing. It's about supply. But we can't, we've got more rules and regulations than we ever have been. The cost that government adds on to the cost of home to build a home is, is enormous mm -hmm. and, and bordering on the ridiculous. And we, we won't accept density. So as soon as a new project is, is proposed in a neighborhood, you know, I, I, I went and spoke to uh, in front of Vancouver uh, uh, Development Permit Board, uh, Vancouver City Hall, uh, a few weeks ago. There had been a, a project that was uh, 110 housing units uh, proposed uh, in Chinatown. It's an empty parking lot. It's been an empty parking lot for 10 years. And there were 60 of us who were registered to speak. And only four of us were speaking in favor of the, of the project. The other 56, many of them housing advocates. And I've never seen so many housing advocates come out to speak against housing. And, uh, it, it, and it's distressing. Yeah. to think that we're in the middle of an affordability crisis. You've got a company that wants to make an investment, build 110 homes. Not, not that that's going to solve um, the, the problem in and of itself, but the fact that it's taken 10 years to get that project approved um, says something about our system. It's not working. It's not working for the average Canadian, the average British Columbian who's trying to raise a family, pay down a mortgage, maybe, maybe get into the housing market, or maybe you know, their family's growing, they need a larger home. Mm -hmm. None of this is working for them. The fact that you had a young family go to a Starbucks in downtown Vancouver, and while the, the young child and the mother are inside, the father stabbed to death outside. That just happened a few months ago on right. our streets. And you had a tourist from New Zealand stabbed uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, that we should all be saying, hey, what we're doing now is not working. So. Let's, let's have an honest conversation about, about what we need to do to create stronger, a stronger economy, safer communities where we're rewarding success and recognizing it and celebrating it and creating opportunities where people will say, I want to invest in Canada. I want to invest in British Canada. I want to start a business. I want to create opportunities. We're not having those discussions. We need to have those discussions. Thanks for uh, sharing what is uncomfortable uh, news. And it's not the kind of discussion that you want to have, but it does matter. 
Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a subscriber. And thank you to Audlin Brown, BD Developments, and Stem Cell Technologies for their support.